that our prayers need to be focused on praise rather than always need-based, right? We, we talked about that last week. And he's calling this, the Lord is calling this a season of psalms. I don't know when we're going to get out of the psalms, so we're just going to keep going until he changes, you know, tells me to do something else. But remember last week how the Lord had said that the glory of God becomes your mantle when you praise? That when you praise, your praises become a mantle of God upon you. So this week, he told me, okay, I really don't understand football, but this is what he told me. He said that your praises are your offensive line. And then I said to him, Lord, do you mean defensive? He said, no, 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 no. Your praises go before you. Your praises are the touchdown pass. Is that the offensive line? The people who pass? Okay, good, so I didn't hear wrong. I heard right. But in other words, your praises go before you. They shatter the enemy. They silence him. He gives you a plan. He gives you praise. And it ends what the enemy has planned. Okay, so does that sound like an offensive line? Hello? I'm talking to you. I'm not one of those preachers who just, like, wants to, like, talk to people that don't talk back. <laughs> okay, so we studied that last week in Psalm 8 that your praises silence the enemy. Today, I am going, or actually, he told me to go back and study Psalm 8 a little bit more because there is a verse in there that is somewhat controversial with people because I'm going to say it just bluntly. They don't really want to enter into the fullness of God. They really don't want to believe it. So, we tend to alter things. We tend to read the word less powerfully than it was intended. Okay? So in Psalm 8, he wanted us to go back and look at it. I'm going to go to verse 3. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals? that you should think about them, human beings, that you should care for them. Yet, that's an important word, yet. So he's setting this next idea in contrast to the idea that was just set forth. In other words, why would you think about me? Why would you care about me? So he goes, yet, you, meaning God, made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor and many uh, translations there say majesty. Okay, here's the controversy. Many scriptures say you made them a little lower than angels. Other scriptures say you made them a little lower than heavenly beings. I believe 
the proper scripture reading, because it's written in many translations. I'm not making this up, in other words. It says you made them a little lower than God. Some say you made them a little lower than yourself. Okay? You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. The flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds of the sea, the fish, the, the, the birds. <laughs> we don't have birds in the sea. The birds in the sky. The fish in the seas. And everything that swims the ocean currents. Oh, Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Okay, so here it says, you made them only a little lower than God. I'm reading out of the NLT today on, on, in this. Now, if you really stop and think about that, if he gave us all authority, it goes on and says, you have given us charge over everything you made. If we were lower than angels, as some translations read it, or print it, if we were lower than angels, we wouldn't have charge over everything. Well, Lisa Marie, why do you say that? Well, I say that because the word in Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So angels serve those who inherit salvation. They go forth according to the word that you speak. They go forth according to the word that you speak. Okay? So that's why I believe that is the preferable translation. And we need to start seeing ourselves this way. Notice how he's saying, God is saying that he sees you. Crowned with glory and honor, majesty, just a little lower than himself. Just a little lower than himself. With all things under your feet, you are given power and authority because you are in Christ. Because you are in Christ. God trusts you and he's given you authority. And God enjoys you. Get this, beloved. God actually enjoys you. We're going to go back to this psalm. We're going to look at it. He actually sees you as wondrous. He actually sees you as a beautiful creation. He actually sees you full of his glory and honor and majesty. He sees you that way. Do you think it is time for you to see yourself that way. It is not a lack of humility to not see yourself the way that God sees you. Truly, that's blasphemy. We must see ourselves the way God sees us. If we don't see ourselves the way God sees us, we will not walk in the fullness of his glory and his strength and what he needs us to do here on earth. It is not arrogant, it is not prideful 
for you to see yourself the way the Lord sees you. Okay? So once you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this should be your vantage point. This should be how you see yourself. The place from which you actually see your entire world, the entire universe. When you see yourself this way, you're going to be a more effective soul winner. You're going to be a more effective discipler. We must understand that we are pleasing to God. You are pleasing to God. Say, I am pleasing to God. Say that. Psalm 16.3 in the NIV. As for the saints who are in the land, they are glorious ones. Look at that. Are you a saint? Are you a believer? It says here, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. I think that should make you, like, jump for joy. You are the glorious one in whom is all the, the Father's delight. Wow. So, we can only walk in the victory that he has, in which he has designed us to walk, you can only do that when you understand how he sees you. Because if you don't understand that, if you don't employ that in your life, and believe me, there are plenty of challenges that are going to try to knock you down. So we must stand firm. We must employ this mindset, this heart set. Because if you don't understand how he sees you, you're going to walk in unforgiveness towards yourself. And when you walk in unforgiveness towards yourself, you're going to walk in unforgiveness toward others, and you're going to walk in unforgiveness toward God. Does that make sense? Do you see the chain? If you don't forgive yourself, you walk in, you, you walk in unforgiveness toward others and toward God. So when you understand how he sees you, the beauty the wondrousness, the majesty. And you get rid of all that other stuff, you get to walk in his victory and power. Does that make sense? Okay. Remember last week he said, when we praise him, our mantle in Christ is the glory of God. Psalm 3.3. 3. You are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. You see how God sees you? Lift up your head, saints. Come on, lift them up. Lift them up. See the way God sees. See yourself the way God sees you. See others the way God sees them. So, in Psalm 9, here is our posture. Here is our response to a God who is like that toward us. Psalm 9, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Hallelujah. 
I will praise you and praise you and praise you. Hallelujah. So today, that's what's kind of what I wanted to recap in eight. And today, you know, well, I'll get to that later. But in Psalm 11, okay, I'm going to give you a little bit of history about Psalm 11. Psalm 11 was written when David was in Saul's court. He had defeated Goliath. He had come back with that victory, the victory of the Lord. And Saul was becoming jealous because the people were praising David more than they were praising Saul. And so they were singing this refrain. You can go back to 1 Samuel 18, verse 7. And in that refrain it says, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And they were chanting that and, and singing that. And it goes on to say that Saul was very angry. Very angry. This refrain galled him. And his anger vexed him. Another name for gall is vexed. It tormented him because he chose anger and jealousy. He thought, what more can he, meaning David, what more can he get but the kingdom? In other words, Saul in his heart was saying, he's after my kingdom. He's going to get my kingdom. He became jealous. You know, I, I heard um, Ken Copeland say one time that his dad, his dad, you know, I, I don't know if it was during the time that he was had the oil wells or when, when it was, but anyway, he said his dad always had the posture that he wanted everyone underneath him that was working for him to know more and more and more and more and more and grow in knowledge and grow in knowledge and grow in knowledge. Because as they grew in knowledge, he could grow into something else. So never have the attitude to be jealous of what somebody else is doing or whether they're going to know more than you or understand more than you or get more than you. Jealousy will eat one alive. So he says here, Saul was very angry. This refrain, when they were praising David, galled him. He thought, what more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And Saul basically, I mean, yeah, David. And Saul basically sought to have David killed. He sought to have David killed. So Psalm 11 says, this is, this is David's response to the threat. This was a threat upon his very life. I don't think any of you are threatened in here to your very life, are you? Okay, so he had it a little harder than you have it. But what was his response? In the Lord I take refuge. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, okay, because other people were saying this to him. They were saying, flee like a bird to your mountain. 
For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like someone was shooting from the shadows at you? Well, his compatriots were saying, run away. Save yourself. Turn coat and run. See, that's what they were saying. Flee to the mountains. He's after your very life. You can't win this battle. So what does David say? He says, why are you telling me to flee? Yeah, I, I see this. I know this. Why are you telling me to flee? I've already fought the giant. I serve the Lord of all lords. He is my refuge. A hiding place in a cave. Fleeing to the mountains. That's not my refuge. I'm not running away from the battle. You see what his heart was? I take refuge in my Lord. So the question comes to us, to every person in here, what are you going to say in the time of battle? What are you going to say in the time of battle? What mantle... What mantle are you going to wear? See, these are choices we make every day in every situation. Remember, when David stood before Goliath and he was offered Saul's armor, he refused. I'm not going to take on somebody else's armor. I'm not going to take the king's armor. I have come to you, Goliath, in the name of the Lord Almighty. You are mantled, if you are in Jesus Christ, you are mantled in the name of the Lord Almighty. Has he ever lost a battle? He's not about to lose one now. David knew who his father was. Even when David made mistake after mistake, some horrific mistakes, and yet he knew God's mercy and his love, and he knew who his father was. So what are you going to say when times get difficult and it, when it seems like there is an onslaught of the enemy? When there are difficult circumstances, there might be financial difficulties. There might be relational issues. You might need wisdom or understanding about how to do something. What are you going to say? When you see morality and injustice all around, look at the Ukraine. Does it look like hate is winning? There's no morality there. There's no justice there. That is hate and aggression. So when you look around and you see no heed for morality, no heed for justice, what are you going to do? Or you, are you going to stand steady? You know, y'all should be praying for Putin's salvation. Praise for, 
pray for the light of the gospel to enter a man's heart. Do you know the scripture says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord? Pray that. Anyway, will you remember that God is on the throne? Will you remember and act accordingly that he is in his heavenly place? That his promises never falter. His promises never falter. He is your refuge. He is your strength. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. That you are on the rock. You are on the rock almighty if you are in Jesus Christ. Praise him for that. And stay in a posture of praise. Stay in a posture of praise, not just need-based prayers. Like I said last week, need-based prayers means it, it, it builds insufficiency mindset in you, and you don't need that. So stay in praise. Remembering who you are in Christ, remembering your mantle, remembering that you are clothed. You are clothed in his strength and his power and his might and his glory and his love. Romans 8.31 If God is for us, who can be against us? You see? He delivered the Israelites out of their distress and suffering. He delivered them out of Egypt. What Egypt do you need to be delivered from? You know, those Egypts can be things like insecurity. It can be any host of things, anger issues, all sorts of things. Psalm 11.3. When the foundations are being destroyed. We don't want to think about that, but it's in the scripture. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? What can you do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men his eye examines them. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates. Now the wicked would be those yet to believe. Okay? On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. Nobody wants to talk about that, do they? But God distinguishes between the righteous and those who are yet to believe. For the Lord is righteous, he loves justice, upright men will see his face. Okay, so we're going to look at David's response very closely. Have you looked around you lately? That's my question. Have you looked around you lately? Does it seem that lawlessness is the guiding light? The rule of men's hearts. Do you look around you? Do you see the lawlessness? Do you see the lack of morality? Do you see the hate? Do you see 
the power mongering. That's not the right foundation. That's a crumbling foundation. We might as well call it what it is. Does it seem like the very foundations of godly society are being totally destroyed? We're not going to be moved by what we see. Morality and the order of a godly society are being destroyed and overthrown by evil, trying to be overthrown by evil men and women. People are doing what the Bible says, calling evil good and calling good evil. Come on, wake up, you know. Don't, don't hide yourself and hide your head in the sand and say it's not true. It is the world. You live in the world. That doesn't mean the world lives in you. But you want, might as well not cast a blind eye to it. You might as well do something about it. So David, that, this was David's situation when he wrote this psalm. It's exactly what he was going through. Saul was a rule of injustice. Saul was ignoring morality. Saul was ignoring honor. Saul was ignoring integrity. Saul was ignoring truth. Does it sound familiar? Okay. Well, you don't need to be worried. See, David had an answer, and we have an answer. He had an answer, we have an answer. In any situation in life, all you got to do is go dig into the scripture, and you will find it. We serve a very relevant, we, we have a very relevant word. So Saul was willing to violate the law, to operate deceitfully without regard to morality or truth or honor. The NLT, when we read this, it says, when the foundations are being destroyed, I want to read that to you in several other translations. The NLT says, when the foundations of law and order have collapsed, Aramaic, because they have overthrown that which you prepared, that which God has ordained, that's what he has prepared, his plan. They're trying to overthrow that. Amplified, if the foundations of godly society are destroyed, what can the righteous do? David would not ask that question if we did not have a remedy. CEV, what can an honest person do when everything crumbles? Our answer is to stay in the praise of the Lord our God. Psalm 12, 8 puts it this way. When what is vile is honored among men. Now just hold on, I'm not going to be negative the whole time. <laughs> See, we serve a God of hope. Okay? So we are going to stay covered in his mantle. Remember last week when we learned that mantle was a hiding place? You are hidden in his mantle. 
So these questions about the crumbling foundations, these are questions we're all asking today. I know you are. And it can apply to your personal life, and it can apply to society in general. And when things are chaotic in society, you know, oftentimes they affect our personal relationships and our, you know, just maybe the way that we feel. But see, we get to, stay, we get to take strength in our Father and in the love of Christ. David's key was not to run. He did not run. He did not abandon the mission. I am here to speak strength to you today, regardless of what it looks like. Do not abandon the mission. Do not run and hide. Do not give up your authority. Does that make sense? The key is to never stand down. We are not going to be of those who shrink back, but we are going to be of those who stand. We will not give up our responsibility to glorify God. We cannot desert our posts. The Lord is on our side. The key is to continue to praise him, to seek him, to honor him, to bless him, to just stay in his presence. To know him and to understand his love for you. The Lord is in, David said, the Lord is in his holy temple. He is on his heavenly throne. And I have not seen anybody knock him off yet. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I know that's never going to happen. He observes you. He has compassion on you. He sees your situation. He sees the situation in Ukraine. Psalm 14, 5. God is present in the company of the righteous. Righteous is another word for the believer, the believer in Christ. Matthew 9, 36 in the NASB says, Seeing the people... He felt compassion for them. This is the kind of God that you serve. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited, like sheep without a shepherd. This is not time to lose faith. This is not time to lose your spirit. You have a good shepherd. You are not those without a good shepherd. It says here, they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. But see, that's not you. So you don't have to be distressed and dispirited. You have hope in the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the King of glory. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. When he saw the crowds, this is the NIV, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Holman says they were weary and worn out. ISV says they were troubled and helpless. Moffat says they were harassed and dejected. But that's because they didn't know their shepherd. You know your shepherd. You know the faithful and true one. You know the one who never leaves nor forsakes you. You know the one who is a God of hope. 
You know the all-sufficient one, the almighty, the healer, the banner that goes before you. That's who you have. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet was without sin. You see, we do not succumb to the fleshly nature. We don't succumb to discouragement or any of that. We revel in the mantle of the glory that God has placed on us. Jesus said, I came to give them the glory that you gave me, Father. My Jesus is in me. I'm hidden in him. Hallelujah. The devil can't even see me. Isaiah 40, 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. That's you. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Isaiah 42, 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. God will never abandon those who call him his father, who honor him, who have humble hearts before him. Psalm 9, 9 through 10. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. He does not ignore the cry of the afflicted. In any situation, he will not ignore the hearts of those in Ukraine who are serving him, who love him, who have called Jesus Christ their Lord. He did it for David. He's going to continue to do it for us and for all those who call on his name. He judges between those who trust him and those who have chosen to defy him and to disregard him. Psalm 11.5 the Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates. Now let me point one other thing out to you. Do you know when David, probably should have said this earlier, but in Psalm 8, do you know when David, when he was looking at the stars, and he was just enamored with the majesty, enamored by the glory, enamored by creation, and he was basically saying, Lord, I'm so, I'm so in awe of this. I'm so in awe of what you have done. And that's how he wants you to see you. That's how God sees you. Just as we are enamored with his creation, with his might, with his beauty, that's how he wants you to see you. That you are cared for. That you are loved. So anyway, when he says the Lord examines the righteous but the wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates, that's not you. He looks at you with love and compassion. The Lord, in many translations it says, the Lord examines the righteous and the wicked. 
So in other words, he's not just examining one. He's examining both, and he's differentiating between them. Now, his heart is that everyone comes to know him. That's his heart. He would turn no one away. He came so that none would perish. Okay? That's his heart. And that should be our heart. There is a ripe harvest field out there. You're the laborers. You need to go forth with his vision of, of you so that you can spread that vision. So that when you speak to people, you can communicate to them how God sees them with a heart of mercy and love and grace. And bring them in it, with repentant hearts. And bring them in to the church to be loved and be discipled. So the point is here today, saints, that God knows, God looks, and when it seems to us that the foundations are crumbling, he works justice. He will take care of it. You stay in a posture of praise. You stay humble before him. You stay with pliable hearts before him. Stay steady. Stay in faith. Stay in a posture of praise because it silences the enemy. We learned that last week. It silences the enemy. It removes torment from your mind, from your soul. When you stay in praise, you cannot be tormented by the lies of the devil. You can't. You can't. Praise renews the mind. It renews the soul in a spirit of faith. Psalm 11, 7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Look what he says about you. Upright men will see his face. That's every believer. That's every believer. That's a promise. Other translations there. NLT says virtuous men will see his face. ISV says, the upright will see him face to face. Rotherhams emphasize, the upright shall behold his face. So we stay in praise. We behold his face, and we walk in the glory. Does that make sense to you guys? Do not run. Do not shrink back. Do not get discouraged. Stay in hope. Know that you are the object of his desire and you will see God's face. Then go out and minister the love of Christ. Every single one of you in here, if you are not convinced after today, I'm not going to say anything negative, negative. Let me put it in the positive. You should be convinced that you are an evangelist. You should be convinced of that. That he needs you. You've all been given special gifts. When, it, when he was speaking to each, every single one of you, I, and, I, and I don't know all your special gifts, but he has gifted you with special gifts, and he called many of them out, and he wants you to be confident that you can use that to win souls and disciple people for him. No more timidity. So anyway, if there's anyone in here today 
who has never invited Jesus Christ into their lives to be their Lord and Savior, I would be overjoyed to pray with you. It'll be the best day of the rest of your life. It'll open up new dimensions. You will begin to walk in a love that you have never understood before. So if there's anyone in here, precious hearts, you're precious to the Lord. And if you want to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'll need to be helped down again. Come on, guys! Best day ever. You want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Best day ever. You could not be making a better decision, sweetheart. Your name's CJ, right? Your name's CJ? Okay, so you just repeat after me. Lord, I come to you as my Father. Thank you for loving me. I choose this day to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. Thank you that you raised him from the dead that I could be forgiven. So now, Lord, I just ask you to forgive me of anything that's displeased you. I put it in the past because I know you have. Help me to follow you and serve you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and revelation in your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hallelujah. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family, CJ. Do you need anything you let me know? you have a Bible? Okay, because if you don't, we'll get you one. Best day ever.